Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my time capsule is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they would like to put in a time capsule. They tell me four things that they love and would like to preserve, but they also talk about one thing that they'd like to get rid of from their life, something they would like to forget by burying it in the ground and never thinking of it again. I'm delighted to say that my guest in this episode is one of the stars of Horrible Histories, Yonderland and Ghosts, Matthew Bainton. And if you're a fan of any of those shows, then I need say no more. And if you're not a fan, then watch any of them and you will be. Matt created, wrote and starred in the comedy The Wrong Mans with his fellow Gavin and Stacey actor and now presenter of The Late Late Show in the US, James Corden. He played William Shakespeare in the film Bill, written and co-starring his friends from The Horrible Histories, etc. Matt has also been in Ashes to Ashes, Roman's Empire with Matt Horne and Chris O'Dowd, Doc Martin with Martin Clunes, The Armstrong and Miller Show with, well, Armstrong and Miller, Peep Show with, well, you know who's in that, Spy with Darren Boyd, Blandings with Timothy Spall, Jennifer Saunders and Tim Vine, You, Me and the Apocalypse with Rob Lowe, Drunk History, Inside Number 9, Quacks with Rory Kinnear and Rupert Everett, Vanity Fair, The Split, Urban Myths playing Kenny Everett, and he is also the voice of Roland in Bob the Builder. Can you remember it? Yes, you can. Anyway, the important thing is Matt is a delight to talk to, as you'll discover now, as we hear the five things he'd like to put in his time capsule. And a few other things, of course. Cheers. And yeah, and, and also just, you know, how recent it is that corporal punishment was just a given. <laughs> how weird is that? It's so strange. You look at those tiny children. I see them yeah. they walk past my house every morning going to school and I, I, you know, joke with them, play the old fool, you know. Yeah. And they laugh at me. 
And it's lovely. And I look at them and I think, so the idea of actually saying, right, stand up, hold your hand out. Yeah. And then, oh, Sadism. sake. Oh. <laughs> what a start. <laughs> what a great, jolly conversation we're going to have. All right, I'll swap it around because I did that thing of Googling you. And I noticed that finally, Matt, I'm so pleased for you that you've become famous enough to be in Death in Paradise. Uh, I feel like Death in Paradise is the new The Bill. Yeah. You know, it's the one that sort of everyone ends up in. And the reason is because you get to go to Guadalupe. <laughs> so it, it's a bit of a no-brainer, isn't it? It's a holiday. For everybody who's playing a guest. No, exactly. I mean, there's a reason why they've got through so many detectives. Yes. And, you know, the heat is genuine. It's their protocol that all the actors stand around in vests and then they put their shirt and blazer on for the take. Mm. And by the end of the take, it's wet. And their faces are dripping. And you just think, whose idea was it to, you know, to do this? And it's sort of completely impractical. I mean, set it there, sure. But why are they wearing suits? <laughs> insane. I know. But yeah, for the guests. The only experience I've had like it is um, the people who worked on Benidorm. And they would go out there, but they would go out there and it would be April. Yeah. And it was nice. It was Pleasant. Yeah, temperate, but not. Yeah, by the time they were filming in the middle of August, it was just hellish yeah. because it would get to 40 degrees and you'd think, no, this is impossible. People can't move. At least they are in swimming trunks next to a pool. True. You know? <laughs> yes. Apart from me, I played the uh, British consul, so I was always in a suit. Uh, you got the Death in Paradise version of that experience. I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm possibly the only person in the history of Death in Paradise who had to shoot a scene in London. It's the Christmas special and they introduce him in his horrible little bedsit in London before he gets mm. to go to this wonderful place. But um, when we did it, it was a heat wave <laughs> and I was sweating and I had a scarf and a woolly hat on and I was walking out <laughs> of my front door sort of pretending to be cold. I think you'll sort of share this. There's usually a distinction to be made between acting and pretending. <laughs> Every now and again, you'll have to do something which is just pretending, mm -hmm. like pretending you're cold when you're hot or like pretending you've got a broken heart, you know, pretending you're in physical pain and things like that. Mm. And those are the moments for me when the job really feels absurd. <laughs> <laughs> Although I had once, I was supposed to fall off a ladder and twist my leg and then lie there as if I was in agony. Casualty? It wasn't casualty, strangely oh, enough. You'd think that's a you? classic pre title yeah, opening. Yeah, absolutely. And strangely enough, I did play a man who fell off a ladder in casualty. So, <laughs> yes, I played both. That's your specialty. I can do that anytime. Well, uh, clearly I can because they stopped the shoot. They actually went, cut, cut, cut. And I went, what? And he went, you're all right. And I went, yes, I was pretending. Oh, what a review. Use that take. It's the only thing I can do convincingly. <laughs> we should have had you fall off a ladder in Ghosts if we'd known. If you'd known. If we'd known that was your thing. But then I would have insisted that I died and joined the cast. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Now well, that has... Uh, Almost every guest who comes along says, can I die, please? It, yeah, it's been, it's been mentioned. We did the teaser with Barkley next door nearly dying, you know, or we yes. think he's going to die and we're worried that he'll stick around. <laughs> the great Jeff McGiven. Yeah. Quite a lot of fans sort of want Mike somehow to end up seeing the ghost. So they often float, you know, can Mike die? <laughs> it's like, really? You want him dead? Why don't they all die and then we'll just have ghosts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is the title of the programme. It's funny, that stuff, because I think the pleasure in it is that you want it and you'll never get it. Yeah. But um, 
careful what you wish for. Well, true. We'll wait and see. That is the great quandary, isn't it? That's what everybody discusses, really, is, well, how will they end up happy? Because that's what you wish for the characters. Yeah, exactly. Sitcom is a sort of, it has its own form. And, you know, I hate to be prescriptive and suggest there's a rule book, but there are certainly kind of patterns to the way the form of these things tends to work. And sitcom has this thing, which is repeatability, which is, you know, you do get kind of comedy dramas, which are serial, Mm -hmm. but classic sitcom is people don't change. And in a way, the narrative structure of every episode is oh, this person might change. And then maybe they do even. Yes. But then by the end, they don't. No. (laughs) They revert. Absolutely. And it's, you know, the art of it in a way and the challenge of it is to find enough variation in what is actually a very repetitive pattern. Well, you do it by slowly revealing details about the characters. I think that's really lovely. That's the thing with ghosts is that we discovered that it's not why we came up with the idea of ghosts. That was simply so that we could dress up, you know. (laughs) But the upshot of it is that we had this other thing that we could mine so that while the plot, you know, is moving along in a linear sort of, if you like, horizontal way, Mm -hmm. you also have this depth that you can mine. So at the same time, you can be going back either into their lives or just deeper into their identity and their characters. So Mm. we get to play on both of those levels, which has turned, as you say, like that actually is the thing that is quite unique about the show, I think. And that's what's turned out to make it last because you never know with an idea, you know, our last show was this thing, Yonderland, which was a sort of fantasy Mm. comedy with puppets and, (laughs) and us playing lots and lots of different parts. And on the face of it, that felt quite endless because it's an endless fantasy universe. So we discovered new characters every week and new kind of quests for the hero to go on. But actually we found by the time we were approaching the third series that we were like, this is probably the last one. You know, it feels like it's running out of legs. Right. And I think it's exactly that really that Whereas Ghost doesn't have endless characters, it has this gang whose lives you want to explore more and more. Well, they have a double life as well, don't they? They not only have the life that they lived, but the life since they died. Yeah. Which gives it a greater depth. So some of the characters have thousands of years of experiences that you can explore. Yeah. I mean, one of the first ideas for a character actually became Robin the Caveman in a way but was that there was going to be a child who was, you know, seven or something, like a just cute little kid, but they were the oldest ghosts. <laughs> yes. And so they were going to be this really wise philosophical soul mm. with a child's body and voice. And of course, you immediately go, oh, but whoever we cast will grow up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's enough of a problem with me, <laughs> to be fair, uh, playing Thomas, who was younger than me when we began, mm-hmm. and increasingly so. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that kind of became Robin, the idea that this, on the face of it, kind of uncouth caveman who can't speak as eloquently as the others, but actually has a great deal more wisdom. Mm from thousands and thousands and thousands of years of experience. Yeah, been there, done that. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, But we should talk about the things you're going to put into a time capsule. Yes. This has been a really fun thing to be mulling over and a really kind of interesting experience. And I think the first thing that I realised, which I was quite pleased about, is that it turns out I'm not a hugely materialistic person (laughs) because initially I was like, well, can I even think of four things? Mm -hmm. I don't sort of have a ton of things that I would 
you know, despair about losing, which was pleasing. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, I'll come round and just leave the back door open. <laughs> Ready for the place to to burn down and I'll just be standing outside sort of zen-like. <laughs> so the first thing I'm going to put in goes back all the way to childhood and it's a copy of a book called The Quangle Wangle's Hat by Edward Lear. Oh, Do you know this? It rings a bell. I don't really know it, no. It's about a creature called the Quangle Wangle Quee who lives at the top of the crumpety tree and never meets anyone and you never see his face because of the huge hat that he wears, a beaver hat, they call it, which now that I think about it implies fur, mm. uh, which, you know, is not so cool. But then all these different creatures one by one come and say, your spot on the top of the crumpety tree looks amazing. And can we come and live in your hat? <laughs> and he lets all of these different creatures come and live in his hat and they end up having a, a dance <laughs> That's the story. Do you get to see his face? You never see his face. No. His face you could not see on account of his beaver hat. Mm. Um, and uh, it's classic Edward Lear, you know, nonsense kind of. It's all the pleasure of these creatures that he comes up with. Yeah. The pobble who has no toes. <laughs> and the fimble fowl with the corkscrew leg, you know, the rhyming of it and stuff. But I've got this copy of it, which goes back to my childhood. And it's such a formative memory for me. My dad reading us this story, me and my brothers. And I don't know if it's vivid because he wasn't often home to read to us at night. I think it might partly be that, mm. but... As far as I kind of remember, it's almost as if he read us just this story every night, which can't possibly have happened. But I know the whole thing off by heart, start to finish. And I'm pretty sure both my brothers do too. And this copy I have, it's, it's these beautiful illustrations by Helen Oxenbury. And it's so weathered and it had to be put back together with sellotape several times. And that sellotape is now... You know, when it goes sort of dried yeah. and brown and crusty and it just flakes <laughs> off. And I somehow ended up with it, which I don't know if my brothers even know I have. Um, and then I bought a new copy to read to my kids because I just didn't want to touch this. You know, I almost feel like it's one of those documents that you should put the white felt gloves on <laughs> to touch. But it's the memory of my dad reading to us and, and the... And the feeling, the more I thought about it, that there was something really formative in that, in my sensibility somehow. I just, I can hear his voice, which is so, there's so much warmth, but also he was so silly the way he read to us. Mm -hmm. And I think my comic sensibility has so come from his sense of silliness and of fun that it's not, you know, my, what, what I love is absurdity and surrealism and I'm less drawn to clever wit than I am to someone who can make me laugh without me really knowing why mm. with just their spirit <laughs> somehow and um, I think if I can trace it to anything it, it probably goes back to that yes what did your dad do my dad he's retired now but he studied engineering at Bristol University where he met my mum and then he went into air conditioning. That was his thing. So working long hours and having to be serious all day and then coming home and reading this book. Yeah. And I think it's partly also the privilege of the working man who has not been there for the hard yards of childcare. <laughs> 
sort of come home and and have energy and do the fun bedtime story. Mm. I don't want to paint an untruthful picture because I'm sort of con- I've become more and more conscious as a parent myself that my mum did so much for us and is such a generous and kind of caring person and so much of that is unsung and unthanked and that I hear myself talking about these things like oh I remember when dad read to us mm-hmm. and stuff and I sort of I I spare a thought for her because I I can imagine her internal monologue being a little bit like well yeah, I mean, I was exhausted. And most nights I read to you. Yes. But the ones that you remember are when your dad read <laughs> to you because they were rarer, you know. Yeah, and while he was <laughs> upstairs reading to you, having just come in, I was getting his dinner ready. Right, exactly. And tidying and up all the toys. Clearing up yeah. all of your, yeah, and probably hyperventilating from whatever physical fight I'd just had to split up between three boys, you know. <laughs> But yeah, it's um, just such a fond memory. It's very good. It's good that you remember that now. From my own experience, people tend to remember it when people are gone. Right. So well done. <laughs> well, I'm I'm a very sentimental person. <laughs> <laughs> and parenthood, you reflect on, on your childhood and, and the way your parents were mm. when you go through it yourself. And I love reading those books to my kids. And also my dad comes and reads that book to my kids and so I get to hear again his voice <laughs> brilliant reading this book and sort of I hover the other side of their bedroom door and sort of listen to him reading to them and uh, this sense of a full circle is beautiful mm. how fantastic um, yeah and it's lovely just to have the object you know I think having just said I'm not materialistic I think those things that contain emotional value of things those are truly priceless aren't they Mm. so that's number one brilliant let's put that into the time capsule (laughs) edward lear goes in lovely so what's number two um i'm not sure what order to do this in but i'm gonna say number two is a (laughs) mixtape cassette which my partner of now 21 years gave me not long after we first met and i love it of course for so many reasons i actually fished it out to sort of have a look at what the songs were on there. And I've got it here. Mm. (laughs) But it's less sort of about what the songs are. And, that you know, there are bands on here that she introduced me to with this tape that we still love and listen to. And we went to see one of them recently, a band called Tinder Sticks, and we went to see them at the Royal Festival Hall. Mm. But it's the fact that, and I'm going to sound like a really, a a bit of a fuddy-duddy. I think it's a shame that we've lost physical media because the thing about the mixtapes, and I used to do them for my friends and my friends for me, and there was a particular thrill when you made a new friend about sharing your musical tastes with someone. But making a mixtape cassette was something that took you as long as the tape lasted. Mm, Longer. You weren't just picking a playlist, you know, on a streaming app or dragging files into a folder. You sat there and picked out the record or the tape that you were copying from and played it out to that other tape Mm. and then pressed pause and then picked the next one. And it's the curation of it and the the sense that someone has put that time and care into something for you. So discovering new music that meant something to her 
and the feeling that in some way, shape or form, the songs that she was choosing were meant for me. Mm-hmm. And of course, the music is mostly great, although we were laughing this morning when we fished it out because there's a bunch of songs I'd forgotten that she put on there, which have not stood the test of time. <laughs> But, you know, the beginning at the beginning of our relationship, this was sort of a big part of it was this exchange. You know, we met, she made a tape for me. And then next time I saw her, I gave her a tape in return. Yes. Like, and we've, I think we've really lost, it's, it's like letter writing. We've lost, I think, a lot of that more thoughtful, long form communication and it's a shame. The sense of giving someone time, giving them your time. Exactly. Yeah. I have a friend who lives in Canada who I have an email correspondence with that has settled into a routine that is the only relationship that I could say is it is like letter writing mm. that I have, where there's no point responding immediately because there won't be enough to say. And there's a sort of understanding between us that whoever was written to last is going to sit on that for a few months <laughs> until there's something to say. And we'll sit down and give that person our time and write something that we've deliberated over mm. a little bit, you know. Rather than getting an email and then 10 minutes later getting an email saying, did you get my email? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Or, or sort of, you know, I, I kind of came off Facebook years and years ago. And on the one hand, there's a whole bunch of people that, you know, from my life that I've no idea what they're up to now. But on the other, you know, with that person in particular, there'd be no reason for this communication if we followed each other on social media, because you know everything about someone. What have you got to say to each other? True. Yeah. You know, I got married. Well, I know. I saw the pictures. You know, now I've had a kid. Oh, I know. I've seen the pictures of your kid. I know what they're called. I know what their birthday is. <laughs> How's their knee? Did yeah, their grades get Yeah, better? exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But anyway, to go back to the tape, it has sentimental value for so many reasons. Of course, in particular, because it was kind of, I think, the first thing that she gave to me. Mm. And, a, you know, a relationship that now has spanned half my life. And it's, yeah, it's a lovely thing. That is something I want to keep forever and would be quite devastated if it went. They are special. Yeah. We made them as a family. So if we went on holiday, oh, really? we would make the tape for the car. Oh, brilliant. So then that particular tape will always remind you of that holiday. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. Music is such a, it can trigger memories so vividly. Mm. And my earliest thoughts about music come from being in the back of the car and, you know, the stuff that my dad put on. Yeah. And that's something, again, that I've loved about being a parent is getting to be the one curating the music for my kids to hear. (laughs) And then as they grow up, my son is now 11 and has begun to forge his own tastes and wants to choose what we have on. And and we take it in turns, you know, we're driving along saying, right, you had the last one, so I'll (laughs) choose the next one. That's very much what these tapes were. We would take it in turns. I'm (laughs) going to put this one on. Oh, Dad, what are you putting that silly old song on for? Yeah. And then they'd put something modern. But now, interestingly enough, both my children can sing all the words of An Ill Wind, I think it's called, by Flanders and Swan. Oh. Which is that tune. Wow. They know all the words to it because I insisted on it going on the tape. And they yeah. went, oh, wind it on, wind it on. But now it's there. You know, I sort of bore them with my, I sort of will try and get them to listen to something new 
and you know they'll go oh and i bore them with you know well the first time you hear anything you might not like it some things grow on you and you have to hear it a few times it's like when you eat something new and you don't dad (laughs) yep but i'm right you're right and you've still got the tape to prove it 21 years that's a good innings yeah and plenty more to go i think yeah many more to come lovely all right, well, let's put that lovely mixtape into the time capsule as your second item, Matt. Thank you. OK, right, on to number three. Okie dokie, pick it up, pokey, as Pauline from the League of Gentlemen used to say, and I still do. It's time for an ad break. We'll be back very soon. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to part two of My Time Capsule with Matthew Bainton. Let's see what else he chooses for his time capsule. Number three is a strange one. I've made the decision that it's going in and I, I honestly don't know quite how I'm going to talk about it. It's odd and it's also a very emotional subject. But initially I, I, I thought of it as my item that I would like to bury and forget about. Mm. And never see again. And then I thought, no, actually, it's appropriate that it should be in the capsule. <laughs> it's a painting that a friend of mine gave to me, my sort of best friend from teenage years mm. and beyond, who took his own life when he was 28. I think I'm getting the, uh, the number right. And He had mental health issues kind of throughout his 20s. And on one day, at this point, I had moved out from the town that we grew up in and I'd been to drama school and I was living in Greenwich with my girlfriend. Mm. And he showed up at our door sort of unannounced, which was typical of his behavior at the time. And it was, you know, it was, we were very happy to see him and spent a bit of time with him. And he had with him a huge painting that he'd done and said, this is for you. And it's not that he wasn't talented. He was a talented artist and a very talented person. We did theatre studies together. He was someone who I sort of thought, oh, he'll probably, you know, he'll he'll make it. He'll probably do it. Mm. And I went to Rose Bruford to study directing and he went to Darlington or Dartington? Dartington. 
yeah. Dartington uh, to do a performing arts course, which he subsequently dropped out of, you know, with his mental health mm-hmm. issues. But he he always was a keen painter too. And he gave me this painting, which is impossible to have on your wall. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the one thing I have from him. And I loved him. Mm. You know, I loved him deeply. It, 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 it was one of those, I think you can have friendships, especially at teenage, that are as profound as a romantic relationship. Mm. And that's how it was with us. We sort of found each other because we were in sort of, we were in different forms at school and we kind of vaguely knew each other. But I think it was at GCSE when we were sort of 14, 15, I can't get the maths right, mm. but that we started to have, you know, you chose your subjects and so you would be mixed with kids from other forms. Yes. And we kind of found each other and became inseparable, you know, and this was another relationship where there was a massive exchange of music and culture, you know, right at that time where you're actually quite consciously forming your identity. I think, you know, it's such a... I often think about this, how there's a few years of your life, which despite the fact they span just a few years, mm. you can get to the other side of 40 as I am now. And I've probably forgotten swathes of my 30, my 30s stand in my memory for probably less somehow mm-hmm. than those years between sort of 16 and 21. I think that's why people say, doesn't time fly? Because you get that sense that what, I was only 50 a couple of weeks ago and now I'm 60. Yeah. I feel like time is so elastic really mm. in our memory. And that short space of time feels like it stands for decades. And I suppose that's why I had to put this in the capsule. Like for one thing, it is endlessly funny to me mm. that he gave me this thing I've not actually looked at it for years, Mm. but it's come with me. I wrap it up every time we move. (laughs) I've been in four different places, I think, since. And it has to come with me because he gave it to me. Of course, I have to keep it. Mm. But it cannot go on the wall because (laughs) it's just not something you would put on the wall. (laughs) And its I'm going to show it to you. It's very hard to describe. Okay, There it is. Right. It's (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's sort of, I, I don't know if there's a, I think the setting is a bar that we used to go to. Is it representative of you two? I think it might be. Wow. I have no idea. I never, and you're sort I of, never, is it you that's in black and white or you that looks like <laughs> the devil has arrived? I do, exactly. <laughs> so, that's a perfect way to describe why it can't go on the wall. <laughs> because it's sort of monstrous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of, you know, there's, you can see that there's skill there and sort of a burgeoning talent. Yes. But um, yeah, there's a figure in the, <laughs> there's a figure in the foreground, which I've never been able to work out if it's maybe him or me, mm. which is relatively normal, except that the body seems to sort of have no skin yes. almost. And then in the background, there's sort of perspective and it looks like a bar, as I say. And I think it's upstairs at the sunrooms where we used to drink in South End. Right. And then there's a face made of flames that's sort of floating 
next to him. And then, and then there's a puffer fish. And then above, there's just a strange sort of fish yes. thing floating in the air. <laughs> and uh, It should definitely go, the first thing you see when you come in your house. Yeah, and then you'd have that conversation every time <laughs> someone came around. There's nowhere it can go, but I can't get rid of it. No. And so I initially thought, oh, this will be the one, like it was my first thought, this will be the thing I unburden myself of and forget about. And then I thought, no, actually, it's come with me everywhere. It's got to go in. Yeah. You know, it's a reminder of this person that I loved so much and lost. And there's a truth in it. You know, I can't work it out. And I couldn't work him out, you know, after a time. And there's so many... Regret is a really strong word, but I have a lot of regret about being scared of what was happening to him and not Mm. finding out, not asking enough questions Mm -hmm. about, you know, I visited him on a ward when he was sectioned at one point. And even then I didn't speak to the doctors. I didn't say, excuse me, can you tell me what my friend has been diagnosed with? And is there anything that I need to know to be a good supportive person no. in his life. Almost if I ignore it, it'll go away. I didn't ignore it, but I was overwhelmed by it. And the encounters that we had, sometimes it was like he spoke a different language. Sort of one of the things that he displayed in his behavior was this kind of, he would almost obscure this odd because it almost takes me back to Edward Lear, <laughs> but he would speak. It's hard to describe because it would be English, but it would be sort of mangled and indecipherable. Mm. And it was so frustrating to not be able to tell what he was saying or to feel that he was deliberately trying not to be meaningful, mm. you know, when I, when I desperately wanted to connect, yeah. uh, you know. Um, and so the painting itself, I suppose, I hadn't really thought about this until I'm looking at it now, but it contains the memory of that, you know, that, I wish I could understand you better, you know. Mm. I wish I could decipher what's, you know, what's going on. But also just to have something that is still in my life physically that's a reminder of someone who isn't. Yes. And the nature of memory, just that, as we were talking about before, you know, that time in my life and what am I trying to say? When you're going through that time when you're forming your character... It's really wonderful, isn't it, to have someone else who does it with you? Yes, exactly. I have lots of friends who still have their sort of best friend from those years around, and my girlfriend does. And we go to see, you know, we go back to South End and, and we hang out with, with her. Mm. What I see happen between them is that they spark memories in each other. And that's the nature of memory. They don't come unbidden. They need to be sparked by something. Mm. And there are those times, like you say, you hear a song or whatever, and, and, you, and suddenly a memory pops up. You go, oh, I've forgotten about that. That thing happened. And what's I find, you know, I'm really jealous of that because I, I wish he was still around to remember our lives together. And that's a real sadness beyond the loss of him is is that I wish that we could, you know, and I hear music that I wish that I could share with him now and, Mm. you know, and and things like that. But uh, he's, you know, this this painting is the one thing that I've got. So it's got to be kept. So it's it's going in. Absolutely. I'll wrap it up, though, Matt. Yeah, I mean, you know. 
as long as no one is coming round for tea in the time capsule, <laughs> it can absolutely be on display. The vicar, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do apologise, vicar. That's, that's a painting a friend of mine did of the devil. <laughs> At some point, maybe I will just put it up for a while yeah. and have those conversations. <laughs> I, I, you know, maybe I just couldn't bear to. Maybe I can now. Always those things are a reminder of that you should never take happiness for granted. Yes. You should indulge yourself with it. Absolutely. Ha, that goes into the time capsule. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, you know, I wasn't terribly articulate there, but for obvious reasons. I think you were. I think you were very articulate. Okay, we shall move on to item number four. Yes, this is a much brighter thing. <laughs> and uh, Well, I like the painting. I like it. Yeah, I mean, it's growing on me as I look at it. <laughs> it's been hidden away for so, so long. Um, I was thinking about things that remind me of my work and not in the sense of, of pride in the work itself, but, but the privilege of getting to do what I've done for a living for so long. Mm. And this isn't a physical item, but in truth, it's something that if it got wiped, I would be devastated. And so on that basis, I felt like this has got to go in the time capsule. It needs to be kept. Mm. And it's all the bloopers from everything I've done. (laughs) (laughs) And I've always loved bloopers. You know, I've always, I mean, as a kid, it felt like a real treat if you got to see the bits where people made each other laugh in shows that I liked yes and infectious and probably as funny as anything that was in the shows themselves you know as far as I was concerned and they make you feel like you're there and you're friends with these people and we've got sort of you know we've got bloopers from years of horrible histories and yonderland (sighs) and ghosts and, and you know and bloopers I think from other things I've done like the wrong man's and it's possible I will never watch these shows again in my life, but I can guarantee at some point I'll get nostalgic and watch the bloopers again. Mm-hmm. And there's no more vivid reminder of the fun we get to have making these shows and the friendships and and also the, the feeling of, I think I love making shows. You know, it's, it's just such a thrill that I get to do that. It was a dream and and remains a dream. Mm. And much as I'm proud of the product of the things that we make and, you know, put as much effort and time and sort of care and love as I can into making sure that the thing that we serve the audience is as good as it can be, that thing is not the experience of making it. No. And that's what I'm in it for. Yeah. Not the finished article. That's for the audience. But for me... And it's that wanky sort of word, but it's the it's the process. It's making the thing. And if anything, the programmes themselves, if you ever do watch them, all they do is remind you of the other things. You don't ever watch it just for the programme. Right. And I think that's the thing is that the bloopers have a more vivid sense of what it was like making them. Mm. You'll see the clapperboard. You'll see the boom. You might glimpse the runner ducking out of frame and you'll hear the voices of the crew. Mm. And it's the presence of that team that are meant to be completely invisible in the final product, but they're not, you know, they're not unheard or invisible in, in those bloopers, but also just fundamentally that it's the fun that's being had while you're making the thing. And if there were one thing I would want to hold on to 
you know, and remember it would be that. What a great way to look at your life, though, to look at your career through, in a way, the mistakes and the times you've gone wrong. Yeah. Or you're with a friend doing this thing you know is serious. People are spending a lot of money on it. There are all people waiting for you to do it and you can't stop laughing. It's just the best. Mm. It's it, And it takes me back as well to school and, you know, <laughs> laughing at the back of the class when you're not supposed to. Yeah. And I've never found a better feeling. It's truly kind of mind-blowing that I get to do that and call that a career. And I feel like I kind of make myself work incredibly hard because I feel guilty. <laughs> you know, because it just feels... I'm having too much fun. Yeah. To be able to have that much fun and get paid for it, I always sort of feel like, well, I bloody well have to work as hard as I possibly can <laughs> because you know, it'd be outrageous to be paid for this and not put everything you can into it you know <laughs> well done you because i'm the opposite I'm just, <laughs> everything as easy as I, possible <laughs> i don't believe that at all i've seen you work you prepare well yes that's <laughs> because i don't want to look like an idiot <laughs> or you want to look like the right kind of idiot mm-hmm. preparing very hard in order to look like an idiot yeah i think it's fun um, though isn't it it is fantastic fun it is the one thing that is difficult about being an actor is those things coming to an end and thinking okay well when will I get to do this again yes yeah and it's just you know the other thing I should say about that is and specifically talking about bloopers from the stuff I've done with that gang is that having just talked about how you know I wish I could share memories with this person that I lost from this time in my life is that my time with this group has more or less spanned my whole career mm. I kind of hadn't you know I I was doing my thing in Edinburgh with a couple of friends and you know I did a little bit I think I'd only had an agent for about a year before I got horrible histories and met the rest of this team and so, 15, I think 15 years now, something like that, that we've been together. It's an extraordinary piece of serendipity, isn't it? It's, yeah. And it's just, again, it's, you know, that, so, so these things are not just a memory of the privilege of laughing at work, but of being with these guys mm-hmm. who I love and who we were adults when it began, but it's a significant amount of time. Yes. You know, we've done a lot of growing up together. We've become some of us parents and we've gone from these whippersnappers to middle age and you know hopefully we'll continue for years to come and it's lovely to share success with other people i think i think so i think it's a strange thing to say but people underestimate that success is a challenge in itself and it's natural of course to think about dealing with failure and the challenges of that mm. but yeah success brings with it its own stuff yes and it, it can be a relatively lon- lonely experience, I think, for some people, especially if, if huge success comes fast. Mm. To have people to share, to deal with that together and talk about that stuff, you know, this could sound incredibly self-aggrandizing, <laughs> but it is a great thing to share. It really is. No, well, you have done fantastically well as a group of people. The things you've done have been glorious and, and you've had great success with them. And yet knowing some of you quite well and and meeting others. You're just such a centred bunch of people. You're very sensible. You know what life is about. You know what the important things in life are. And that clearly is as a result of being together, in a way keeping each other the same person. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you can't... (laughs) 
<laughs> you wouldn't get away with it. No. It's like that we are like family. And in that way that your family wouldn't tolerate you sort of coming home, changing your vibe because you went to that London and got successful <laughs> in, in the media, you know, yeah. your family keep you true. And, and it, yeah, it's true of this group. And we're there to sort of gently rib each other and bring each other down to earth. But we're also there to I think more importantly, in the moments where we doubt ourselves, we're, we're, there's always the group to sort of remind each other mm. that what you're doing is great. I love it. So you may not notice about this group, those things, but one of the things that absolutely struck me when we were working on Ghosts, and I was only there for a short while, but it was that when people were doing a scene and other people weren't in it, quite often the other members of the cast were standing there watching them do it. And that's not just having a responsibility on the production side. That is caring for each other and enjoying mm. watching the other person work. Yeah. I think it's one of the things that I understood very quickly was special about that cast on the first series of Horrible Histories is that I'd done enough at that point to have been in comedies where the egos were competitive mm -hmm. And you get it a lot, not just comedy, but where people sort of think, oh, if you're brilliant in this scene, that's a problem for me because mm -hmm. I can't, uh, it's harder for me to be the best or, or whatever, you know, people trying to upstage each other or make each other's jobs difficult it, because they feel like if people are looking at you, they're not looking at me. And that sort of thing goes on a lot. And it just didn't with this bunch. There was always the feeling of like, being delighted by the other person being funny mm. and thinking, oh, that's great, I, I, you know, and a sense of like, this is my moment and I'll do that moment and then I pass the ball to you. Yeah, and it's not competitive. In fact, it spurs you on because you feel a responsibility to the other people yes, rather than being in competition with them. Yeah, and it becomes what it should be, which is play. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's less about being good or being funny and more a thought about having fun. And I think the rest follows if that's what guides you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we do. We take, we delight in each other's performances and we do, we show up to watch each other's scenes quite a lot. And I always feel happier performing a scene if one or two of the others are there behind the monitor. I feel as though they'll notice if I do something spontaneous or if I, you know, if, if, if there's a spark of something in a scene, they'll spot it. Mm. And it encourages you because you feel like, you know, the camera rolls and you sort of think, oh, this will make them laugh. You know? <laughs> that history is so important to that, I think. Yeah. And also just on a completely kind of practical level, we just ask each other for notes because there's just always that feeling that there might be a stone I left unturned here. and someone behind the monitor might have spotted it. Mm. And I think lots of actors think of notes as criticism. Yes. Um, Most actors you know, would be furious if another actor gave them a note. You have to be sensitive, don't yeah. you? To sort of like, you know, does it, offering a note to another actor can seem like an aggressive thing to do. And especially a lot of actors who do that, the note comes from a selfish place. <laughs> yes. I've seen that happen. Can you stop being bit. so funny? Yeah, exactly. Can you can you do it more like this? And it's what they're saying is I've made a choice mm. and your performance is not fitting my choice. Yeah. So I want you to change it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But with us, you know, I ask the others for notes because I just think I don't want us to move on from this scene if there's if someone's got a stupid idea that's worth a try. The thing that eventually is going to make it magic. Yeah, who knows, you know. 
Well, I'd love to see those bloopers. I'd love to see those bloopers, but I bet there's hours and hours of them. Get yourself on YouTube because there's, <laughs> there's loads. Fantastic. I'm going to look it up. Yeah. How brilliant. Yeah. But yes, let's put them all in there. And then in your dotage, you can look back and remember all the fun you've had. Wonderful. Okay, so all we've got to do now is put in something that you'd like to put in there and forget. Okay, so the thing I was just saying about the product being less important than the experience of making it, Mm -hmm. this is the first album that I recorded with my band when we were teenagers, when we were school kids. And it was called The Adventures of Butch Barker and His Intergalactic Crew of Musical Misfits. And the title is not the worst thing about it. (laughs) Put it that way. It's just uh, one of the great joys in my life has has always been music. And I started making music with friends when I was 13, I think. And it was a huge part of my life. And I I played in bands right into adulthood. What do you play? I play the the guitar is my sort of main instrument, Mm -hmm. but I used to play the bass a bit as well. And sometimes little synth lines on the keyboards and, and I sang Mm. and um, in many ways, I hoped music would be the thing that would work out actually. And I loved theater and comedy and stuff as well. And that turned out to be the thing that took off and music gradually sort of took a back seat. But the, yeah, the early efforts were so bad. <laughs> I genuinely get sort of, I feel sweaty if I imagine <laughs> anyone hearing this stuff. It makes me feel panicked, <laughs> the thought of people hearing. So it has to be forgotten. I can remember all of the joy of the hours spent in each other's bedrooms with our four-track recorder, mm. writing songs and recording them. and Bouncing it down. Yeah, bouncing it down, uh-huh. yeah. We had a four track and we would record four parts, ping them all onto the fourth track mm-hmm. so that we had three more. Yeah. And then we'd do three, ping those down to the third. <laughs> and we were just absolutely in love with the feeling of making sound and hearing it back and layering up these things and coming up with other parts or going outside and recording stuff, you know, atmosphere and other sounds to just put in these things. And we just were terrible <laughs> songwriters. And but the important thing about it is that while you're doing it, you're the Beatles. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, initially we put as much effort into designing album covers as we did into coming up with material that would fill <laughs> fill them. You know, when we were sort of thirteen yeah. or whatever, and it became more more serious over time. And I have recorded music later in life that I'm not mortified by. Mm. Would that be Special Benny? Yeah, so that band, we initially were called Era. Me and my friend Ed Ray Allison. So you can see where the name came from. Mm -hmm. And I still don't quite know why I I was like, yeah, that's cool. We'll be named basically you. (laughs) Um, Good job it wasn't Chris, Robert, Alan and Peter. (laughs) Chris, Ursula, <laughs> Niall. And, um, I often think about how lucky I am that the internet was not around when we started doing this stuff you know, <laughs> and that we couldn't put this stuff out in the world. 
you know, we just had to record it for ourselves and play it to our friends if we could get them to listen. You know, for all the Lily Allens of this world. I mean, just terrible. Because, but also, just like the early efforts are meant to not be heard, and unless you happen to be a genius, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a process, and you're learning some craft there, and you're going to fail a lot. And these are the failures, and we recorded them all. Burnt like 500 CDs, I think. <laughs> I had to sell them to our friends and stuff. Yeah. And they're terrible. And the way I sang was so awful. <laughs> sort of half shouting, like trying to make my voice sound gravelly and adult. Mm. When I actually, a few years later, when I kind of, I guess, had stopped trying to imitate other people, I found that I could sing nicely mm-hmm. but at the time you know singing nicely was not as a as a kid what i want i wanted to sound like a rock star you know and awful <laughs> awful i'm embarrassed even talking about it <laughs> so bad so the memories of doing it are wonderful but but the thing itself can absolutely be buried in the centre of the earth. Well, I'm going to take the 494 <laughs> CDs that are still remaining that you didn't sell. Yes, they're in a box somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to take those and put them in the time capsule and you can forget it. Thank you so much. That's a huge relief. <laughs> oh, Matt, how lovely to talk to you. How nice to see you. Thank you very much. Oh, Mike, I love this. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Matthew Bainton. Thanks for listening. We have over 200 other episodes available for your delectation or to listen to, depending on how verbose you like your outro. You can subscribe on the podcast provider of your choice and we will let you know every time a new episode is released. And please do rate the podcast and maybe even review it, as that helps enormously in raising our profile above the parapet, where hopefully we won't be taken out by the sniper of fate. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm talking about either. As you'll discover, if you follow me or my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Do get in touch with us via those social media platforms, though, if you have any questions or are connected to anyone famous who you'd like to have as a guest on the show. Or indeed, if you are a celebrity and would be willing to link up online for an hour of friendly banter. Yes, the verbosity lingers. The verbosity lingers. Hmm good name for a band. You can download or stream the theme music via the fascinatingly named Pass the Peas music on Spotify anytime, day or night. This was a cast-off production for Acast. Our producer was John Fenton Stevens. Okay, enough of the overflowery language. Let's do something really impressive. Here are my latest impressions of farmyard animals. What do you reckon? No, actually, this is not going to work, is it? See, I don't do the noises. I just do the smells. Oh, well, bye. Bloody hell, that stinks. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, But sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're 
so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.